This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. I was dreaming when I wrote this. Forgive me if it goes astray. But when I woke up this morning, I could have sworn that it was Judgment Day. 1982, Prince released the song, 1999. He wrote the song because they were working on a new album. And record executives that had listened to what had been recorded so far said, you don't have a title track. There's nothing good enough to really kind of be the theme song for the album. The drummer in his band recorded later in an interview that they were actually in a hotel room while they were recording. Staying up late one night, they kind of got lost in a documentary on HBO about prophets. The drummer said, you know, it was almost as if the room was electric. Everybody was glued to the screen. And one of the prophecies that they walked through in the documentary was a judgment day. And there were several of the prophets on there that had predicted that that would be the year 2000. The legend is that the next day Prince woke up and wrote 1999. Went into the studio, recorded all the tracks himself. There's nobody, as far as an artist, that's credited with anything else other than the multiple vocals that are recorded. They say 2000, party over, oops, out of time. But tonight we're going to party like it's 1999. See, for Prince... The answer, if there's going to be a judgment day, was not to turn in repentance to God, but to amplify the rebellion by partying it out until judgment would happen. What would you do if you knew that tomorrow was going to be judgment day? What would you do? I can remember sitting around to dinner with a, another pastor friend. I mean, he's hilarious. His wife is super funny. That topic came up. What would you do if you knew that tomorrow's all going to be over with? And my wife and I had the same answer. You know, we want to be around our family, around the people we love. And man, I just died laughing when his wife goes, if I knew it was all over tomorrow, we're going to go out partying tonight. All right. The book we're looking at today, Zephaniah, which is a really fun word to say, by the way. If you're ever bored, just Zephaniah. It's fun. The book, Zephaniah, is a prophetic warning about the coming day of judgment that in his day 
was coming for the kingdom of Judah, but for us, it's coming for all of us. So I want you to stand all around the room as we read through Zephaniah 3. There are only three chapters in this little book. So I'm going to stand in honor of the word of the Lord. I'm going to read from Zephaniah 3, beginning in verse 7. Of Jerusalem, I thought, this is God speaking prophetically through the prophet Zephaniah. Of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day, Jerusalem, you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that as we give a few moments to inspect your word, that you, through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, would penetrate our hearts and alter the course of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. As you're taking a seat, touch your neighbor and ask him, are you ready for this? Now you can respond and just go, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> to help you understand the text that we're looking at today, I really want to dive into um, where this falls into the history of the Old Testament. Um, if you've taken with me the, the course that I teach about once a year, uh, let me help you read your Bible. You, you've seen this information before. There are four major events in the Old Testament. The first one is Abraham. God doesn't start a church. He starts a family. So after the fall of man and after sin corrupts everything, what God does is he begins a family through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And by the time we get to the emergence of that family. They're now in Egypt where the family became a people and God sends Moses to deliver them. So Moses becomes a prominent figure leading the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And then after they're occupying the promises of God, 
God raises up a good king, David, who becomes the template for all the other kings. And if you understand the history of what's going to happen after that moment, the, the kings tend to kind of absorb the power for themselves and use it in selfish means. So David being one of the few good kings, God then sends judgment on the kingdoms, the kingdom divides, the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, and the people go into exile. The exile after 587 when Babylon takes over, destroys and obliterates Jerusalem. Those are the four major things, okay? So what we're going to actually find is that Zephaniah emerges his ministry within the time of the kings. Now, it's important to see the kings. Look at this graphic. This will help you see. I know it's kind of hard to read for some of you. Um, but this see, you see the three kings at the top, Saul, David, and Solomon. Then the kingdom divides. The southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. All those middle, just thumb down, right? All over Israel. Israel is a really practical example of how patient God is. Just over and over and over and over and over and over again, failing God. Before, and I, we talked about this in the first week, the prophecy of Amos is, I'm done with you, you've blown it, I'm taking you out. Right? So then Assyria comes and conquers the northern kingdom. Last week, Brian talked about Nahum. Now, Nahum prophesied, Assyria, you're going to be taken out. They're taken out by the Babylonians, and it's eventually the Babylonians who take out the southern kingdom. There are very few good kings. David is the template, Asa, if you go down, Hezekiah, and then Josiah. That's it. But those good kings would come along, and they would change the course of Israel. Because God would out of their repentance and out of their movement and responsiveness to God, God would relent in His judgment. Which is important to understand when you go to the very first book in Zephaniah. The first verse says, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Zephaniah, unlike the other prophets, who start by saying, this is the word of the Lord that came to, this is the person, and this is where they were from. Zephaniah didn't say where he's from. Geographically, he shows you where he's from and his lineage. And he traces his lineage back to King Hezekiah. Now, you might be thinking, why does that matter? First King or Second Kings chapter 18, Hezekiah becomes king of Judah, king of the southern kingdom. And when he does, the kingdom is disarray. I mean, they're rebelling, turning from God, and Hezekiah takes the reins, and instead of using his power for selfish means, he turns things around. He smashes the idols. He restores worship. He gets things flowing back in the right direction. And because of that, Assyria, who took over the northern kingdom, tries to attack the southern kingdom, but God thwarts their plan and saves his people. 
But there's a moment in the life of Hezekiah I want to share with you today. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 20. The prophet Isaiah, if you know the Bible, a big book in the Old Testament, Isaiah, that prophet shows up in the court of King Hezekiah when King Hezekiah has gotten ill. He's sick. And Isaiah says, the word of the Lord to you is that you will not get well. You are going to die. Then there's this moment, and I want you to see it. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He had access to everything. He could have brought in doctors, pharmacists, witches. But instead of using his power, he humbled himself to God. And then this happens. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. I just need to pause right there. Because when I was preparing for this message, I wanted some of you to know, I just felt like the Lord told me to tell you that He has heard your prayers and seen your tears. There's some kind of grief and suffering that happens in quiet, not in front of people. And for some of you, I just need to remind you today that God has heard your prayers. He has seen your tears. And look at what He said to Hezekiah. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. Now that's a wonderful moment with the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Look at what else he says. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Hezekiah, in a moment when God, in a way, had announced a judgment, you're going to die. Hezekiah didn't double down on his own authority and his own power. Instead, he turned to God. And that sign of bitter weeping is a, an outward sign of an inward decision of we're, we're going we're gonna, to, I've done it before, I did it with our nation, but I'm going to do it here as an individual. I'm, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn, God, I'm going to trust you. And he is listed as one of the four good kings. And the book of Zephaniah begins with Zephaniah tracing his lineage back to this king, King Hezekiah. 
Zephaniah comes from a legacy of repentance. And four generations removed, it's still making a difference. I just want to say this to some of y'all who are in here. The fights that you're in right now in your faith matter. They matter. Even if you're later on in your years, what you gain, you give access to future generations. And you need to understand that while you might not even see the fruit of it in your own life, what you gain in the Lord, generationally, you begin to pass off. Now, this is not only true in our victories, it's also true in our rebellion. Exodus 20 says, You shall not worship, bow down to idols, or worship other gods, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I've said this before, I I don't think this is God being mean or punitive. This is a practical statement. You know it's true. Because you see sin in your own heart that you watched your parents struggle with. And you know where you got it from. We will hand down the things that are rebellious and broken and sinful in our own lives. If your greatest response is to the opinions of people, you will teach your kids to navigate life by what will people think of me. If you only respond in worship to can we afford it, you will teach your kids to worship money. But if you worship the Lord, if your life is bent on responding to Him generation after generation after generation, there will be fruit from it. This is the first thing in your notes today. There are generational consequences for what and how we worship. There are generational consequences. And those consequences can be really good. As a matter of fact, Zephaniah is giving us an illustration of saying, you remember who my grandfather was, right? I'm right along in that line. He won some victories. He gave me a direction. I'm standing on his shoulders. But then again, in Zephaniah's day, after Hezekiah had died, the people of Jerusalem have wandered away from God again. And the echoes of their sinful rebellion is about to cost a high price. I want you to understand this. Worship is a response. Whatever you're worshiping, you're responding to. Okay, worship is a response. This is why in the first week in the series, I, I quoted Jesus. Jesus says you can't worship God and money. Right? And I, I just tried to simply say worshiping money is... The leading question in our lives is, can we afford it? As opposed to worshiping God is, what has God called us to do? And Jesus is like, you can't do that. You can't worship two gods. 
You will supremely respond to one thing. Worship is a response. And what you're responding to will have generational consequences and implications. For some of you, right now, you have altered the course of not just your kids' lives, but their kids and their kids because you've turned something around in your family. But some of you need to be cautioned today because you are passing some stuff off. God wants to get out. Zephaniah altered the course of the kingdom of Judah. This one little, what most scholars say is the most underpreached book in the entire Bible. Altered the course of the southern kingdom. Why do we know that? Because in the very beginning, he tells us the kingdom that he's ministering in. And it was under King Josiah. And if you paid attention earlier, there were only four good kings, but Josiah is the last one. He was the one who would turn things around. Josiah had a responsiveness to the word of the Lord. Zephaniah had a warning. Josiah, listen, will you listen to him today? Because that little song that felt so playful earlier, our staff picked out that song as an illustration of this truth. We're all going to deal with the truth of a day of judgment. The day of judgment in Zephaniah is called the day of the Lord. And it permeates the entire book. The first chapter, verse 7, says, Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and He has consecrated those He has invited. Just to press pause here. The sacrifice was the people of God. You are the sacrifice. And here's what's happened. I've invited the Babylonians, and I have consecrated them as an instrument of judgment against you. It would be untrue to the Scripture if I tried to paint this in any positive light. Because the day of the Lord for Zephaniah is frightening. Verse 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. And the echoing refrain throughout this book is there's a day that is coming, and if you're taking notes, this is number two, everyone will have a judgment day with God as supreme judge. Everyone will. You will. I will. Everyone will have a judgment day 
with God. Now, God is the righteous judge. In the first week of this series, I shared from the book of Amos where God prophesied through him and said to the northern kingdom that had been so rebellious and wicked, no good king for over ten generations. The Assyrians are going to take you out. You've had all the wealth. You've had all the time. You're spiritual, but not holy. Not unlike the world we live in today. Last week, Brian shared from Nahum where God said, I, listen, Assyria, you came against my people. I used you, but now I'm going to take you out. And the Babylonians go in and take out the Assyrian Empire. And in the book of Zephaniah, Zephaniah is prophesying those same Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take you out. But this is not just the God of the Old Testament that predicts and shows us that there's a day coming when we'll all have to stand before God. Romans 14, New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. There will come a day when you will have to stand before God. You will have to give an account. If you're a husband and father, you will have to give an account over your family and your kids and your wife. If you're a wife, you need to understand you'll have to give an account to God based on how you lived in your family according to God's design. So Jesus in Matthew 12, again, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. Every time you said, God, if you'll just give me that pay raise, I'll start tithing. But you didn't. God, if you'll just get me out of this little bit of trouble, I'll do this. And you got out of it, but you didn't do what you said. God, I, I'll, I'll tell them that I was wrong and ask I'm sorry. All of this idea that we can have intentions, but... Never follow through with it. Jesus is like, no, one day you will stand before God and have to give an account. And what's remarkable is when Jesus talks about it, he talks about more the stuff we didn't do. I was hungry and you didn't give me food. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. Well, you fast forward to the book of Revelation, a prophetic book written by the Apostle John that has these windows of visions over the end times. And Revelation 20 gives a, a, a perspective. I'm just going to read through this. I'm going to make one comment as I read through it. Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who is Jesus was seated on it. Now, this is why theologians will call this the great white throne of judgment. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. 
Then death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. More often than not, we like to judge ourselves by our intentions. But twice, John has recorded that the dead were judged by God for what they had done. Not what they intended to do, but what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, the the second death, John goes on to explain. And anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now we've seen this, if, if you've been tracking through this series, fire used as a tool of judgment. In the very first week, we, we looked at the book of Amos and, and God was like, I'm going to send fire on that house and on that family and on that community and on that nation. And here again, in the final judgment, fire, a lake of fire. And fire as an element can be an instrument that is absolutely consuming. I mean, a house fire can take all your possessions and just turn them into ashes in the span of a few hours. But that same fire with different elements can become refining. Gold, silver, iron are purified within the flames of a fire. And there's something true about this moment that needs to be discussed and needs to be expounded on. It's just so simply that the fire of God, this judgment of God, is not just simply designed for us who are following Jesus to be some arbitrary thing that happens later in our lives. It's actually something that's supposed to happen daily. This is why... I teach you out of the Psalms to just pray, God, search my heart. Know my ways. Make known to me anything that is in me that's offensive to you. I don't want to wait until I'm dead to be judged. I want to invite God to do it today. God's daily work in our lives is like a refining fire. It's God burning out the impurities of our lives as Jesus would describe in John 15, Him being the gardener who's cutting away the branches that won't produce fruit. So just practically speaking, how does God judge me before I get to the final judgment? How does that work? There's a very simple answer. God will allow difficulties and loss to discipline us towards obedience. Now please notice, I use the word allow. Allow. Not cause. There's a difference between allow and cause. But God will allow some things to happen that we would have never intended for it to happen. But He will allow it because through that trial and through that difficulty, He will discipline our hearts towards obedience. Hebrews chapter 12 says 
that we can receive hardship as discipline from God. So when things in life are difficult and hard and there's loss, I can just simply look at God and humbly interpret that, that God is my heavenly Father, is disciplining me. Because in all things, God's desired outcome is that we humble ourselves and surrender to Him. See, so many times we're left in the wake of stuff that's been really challenging and difficult. And it's pride that begins ultimately designing how we will navigate it. But let me just give you some advice. When you go through difficult seasons, when you experience the discipline of God, number three, focus on what's left, not what's lost. Focus on what's left, not what's lost. Pride in our hearts will always look at an all-knowing, all-good God and argue with Him about what He should have done. You don't love me because you allowed. You can't be real if. But I want you to know today, that's pride, and that's not coming from some arbitrary place as a pastor or preacher. That's coming from a place where I've walked through some hard things. Pride will always argue with God about His discipline. But we have to focus on what's left. Because what's left is more than enough. I don't know if you caught this little verse in Zephaniah as we read earlier. But God said through the prophet, I will leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. God is saying, listen, there will be a lot that is lost, but I'm going to leave what's needed. This permeates even into the New Testament. Ninety years after the death of Jesus, Israel's obliterated and scattered again. And Paul writing in the book of Romans says, listen, God has always kept a remnant for himself. There's always been people who are unwilling to bow their knee to the gods of their culture. I will leave within you a remnant that will trust in the name of the Lord. And you need to see this only through humility can we trust God. It's the only way. Only through humility. In pride, we'll try to trust ourselves and our perspectives and our thoughts and our beliefs and all the other things that we are in charge of. If those fail us, we'll try to find somebody else to believe in. But it takes humility to turn to God and say, God, I don't have this figured out. I don't even understand it. I don't even like it but I'm going to accept it from you.
Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah gives us the cultural clue to know whose kingdom he's ministering in. It's King Josiah. Josiah's a really interesting story. He's eight years old when he becomes king of Judah. So for a period of time, he's not even acting as king. And his first act is to go to his folks that are in charge of the temple and say, we've been stealing what people have been bringing to church and giving. Return that money. Make sure that the house of God is fully funded and return that money back to the priests. It's not our money. Then after that, the priests return to work and the high priest finds something that was lost. He finds the Bible. Hard to believe, right? That they had lost the book of the law. But he finds it. And he brings it to the king. And he reads it. This young man, Josiah, hears what he's never heard before. The word of God. And he begins to weep, mourn, and cry. He tears his clothes as an outward sign of repentance. Because as he hears what God wants, he knows that they have fallen so far beyond that. He dispatches a few to go see a prophet in Jerusalem. And the prophet tells them, oh, God's going to destroy Judah. He's raising up the Babylonians. This is what's going to, destruction is coming. But in verse 18, this prophet says to this envoy sent by the king, tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I had spoken against this place and its people, that it would become a curse and be laid to wet. Waste And because you, you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. Josiah examined himself in light of God's word. He repented and God spared him. He was the last good king. And he set forth a model that even into the New Testament church became an impactful model. 
that God truly is judge. But as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. If you learn this in the old King James, judge not lest you be judged. We're called to examine our own hearts to invite God into judging us. And if we'll do that, somehow there's a protective nature that God's keeping us from having experienced judgment later on. Romans 11 says this, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. This is who God is. He's loving But he is also just. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who have fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. See, we... We need to examine ourselves. Invite the Spirit of God to judge us. God, show me what's offensive in my heart. What kind of legacy am I leaving? Am I leaving behind a legacy of fear, a legacy of pride, or a legacy of faith and humility? What am I responding to in my life? Am I responding to the opinions of people? Am I responding to the question, can we afford it? Or God, am I coming to you and just asking you, what do you want me to do? And responding to you. Am I living in pride or humility? God, am I surrendered to you? We need to examine ourselves. Today I told you two stories. The first of King Hezekiah. in the face of a judgment from God turns his heart to God and God spares his life and then King Josiah the young king who turned things around and for over 30 years led Jerusalem in peace you know Jesus has a lot of names in the Bible the Lion of Judah, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. But one of the names that he's given in Scripture is he's the King of Kings. He was the King of King Hezekiah. He was the King of King Josiah. And even though they had infinite resources within their kingdom to try to pull and solve their problems, they knew that the answer was in the king of kings' hands. And one day, every person in this room will stand before the king of kings on a judgment day. And as Revelation 20 says it, we will be judged by what we have done. But you listen to me. The same Isaiah that walked into that 
throne room and told Hezekiah he was going to die said that when we've repented, God will blot out our sins in his book. The forgiveness of God causes God, when we've repented, to go, what? I can't even remember it. Only through our repentance to him and receiving the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.